Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietley. Let's start today's show with, with something that, I don't know if people noticed this, but last week there was this asteroid thing that narrowly missed the planet. Did you hear about that, Gene? Yes, it's strange that we don't hear about this before it happens. We hear about it after it happens. And the problem would be then, of course, that if it did hit us, it would be too late to worry about it. But we'd get rid of Fox News. If only. Really? Yes. If only that would have been so good. Well, no, here's the the funny part, because there is a funny part to this. Uh, This asteroid came within about 40,000 miles of of the planet Earth, and it uh, passed right over the Pacific Ocean. Had this thing impacted... It would have just been an absolute nightmarish disaster. Just it would have been terrible. And apparently the uh, astronomers had seen it a couple of days before it actually went over the planet. Yeah, this wasn't really reported in the media until after it had gone by. This is actually mirroring something that happened in 2004 when there was this other, uh, this NM2004, I think was what it was called. The NM standing for near miss. Another large object uh, uh, passed by the Earth really, really close. Then there was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was this big sonic boom over Westchester County in New York. And um, apparently they think that this was also some sort of a meteorite that broke up in the atmosphere and it created this sonic boom. Really kind of an interesting thing. But the the fascinating aspect of the story, and I just want to bring it up on the show, and perhaps we'll do a link to this on the forums, was that there was this, um, I think it was this... uh, a bunch of Italian astronomers had been uh, shooting this through a telescope. And you look at the video of this thing going by. It's a asteroid 2009 DD45. And as you're watching this thing go, because you can actually see this little you know, light object flying by, there is this other light in the sky that is moving around, changing direction. And uh, they're claiming that uh, they're that they captured a UFO right near this thing. And you look at the footage, and i got to tell you, it's absolutely fascinating. It's like, what the hell is that? I was looking at the footage, and, I, and, I, and my eye immediately went to this weird UFO thing. It's just like a little light, but it, it, it's, it, it's moving, it stops, it changes direction. Now, things that are moving in space, they, they don't do that. They just don't do that, and it's not like... Some of that uh, shuttle footage I've seen, you know, some of the space station stuff where there are people who don't see the camera move and they think that objects are moving and changing their direction when actually it's a camera move. This is like a, a teles- piece of a footage shot through a telescope. It's completely stationary. And this light is moving and changing direction. It is absolutely stunning. So we'll, uh, if we're, there's not already a link uh, up now, by the time people hear this episode, we'll make sure to have a link to this up on there. Fascinating yeah. things happening there. I hope we're not into the end days, you know, that these incidents accelerate until, what is it, 2012, when the world is supposed to end? Is that what they're telling us now? It, it's all, you know, crap. But, of course, the interesting thing is the asteroid, the rather large asteroid that is going to pass by the Earth in, I believe, 2028, uh, also very, 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 very close and the concern there being that it's coming so close to the Earth that there's a chance that the Earth's gravitational field might actually affect the trajectory of this thing in a way that when it passes by, I believe in 2036, that there's a possibility that there could be an impact. And this is an object like 885 feet in diameter, I think. 
it's just a terribly large object. It's very all very scary stuff. The the piece that relates to 2012, 2013, um, and I'm I'm not looking at this on the web. I'm reciting this from memory, but I believe that at that point, in it's either 2012 or 2013, they'll be able to get readings on this to determine, uh, have a much better idea of how close this thing will pass in 2028 and whether there's a possibility that uh, there could be a danger of a potential impact. And I believe it's 2036. So this is why my wife wants me to increase my life insurance. Uh, buddy, if that thing were to hit the earth, uh, you can wave goodbye to life insurance. And don't get me started on the AIG memo. You know, when it comes to life insurance, I would suggest to everybody who's listening to this show, it's got, it's got nothing to do with the paranormal, that will seem like an absolutely surreal nightmare when you read this. Uh, there is a, a thread on the Paracast forums called the AIG memo. And uh, on my show, Angry Human, I talked about this. But um, there's a link to the document. It's a 21-page document. And it, the link is up on the Paracast forums if you go to the, uh, you know, the general chit-chat stuff. And um, you do a search for the AIG memo. I have a link to this 21-page document. And... It is, without a doubt, the scariest thing I've ever read. Assuming it's true, and it looks like it's a legitimate document, looks like it's real, and again, not to go off on this tangent on the Paracast, but when it comes to life insurance, basically, uh, assuming that there is such a thing as life insurance in 2028, that's now a question whether that will even be an existing industry, uh, the way things are going. But, you know, yeah, at that point, Gene, if that thing were to impact the Earth in 2036... Uh, you can forget about life insurance. You can pretty much forget about everything. I wouldn't use AIG then. That's all. Uh, yeah, uh, I would recommend against it. But anyway. Listener Mike Cleland has returned to our show because he went to Laughlin, Nevada, and not just for gambling, and that's coming up on the Paracast. And now for something completely different. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. Mike Cleland, we're so glad to have you back on the show again. He's one of our listeners, by the way, who had some fascinating paranormal-type experiences, and he was on a few months back. And so he was possessed, but not in a spiritual sense, to go to Lachlan. Was it gambling, Mike, or what? 
It was not gambling that took me to Laughlin. Uh, I went to Laughlin, the UFO Congress. I went there last year, which would have been the 08, and then I went again just in this February, which is now 09. And uh, what happened there? Why'd you go? You know, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I've taken this thing on in the last couple of years. This owns my own set of memories, and and I made a, a pretty bold decision to really look into this and and to sort of immerse myself into this world. And and uh, and that kind of means needing to talk to people face to face and interacting with folks. And the conference scene is, and I've been to a bunch of them. I've been to a handful in other places. And uh, and, and David, you and I met at a conference in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than a year ago, you know they're they're kind of a mixed bag. They're kind of a funny scene, and and uh, but at the same time, I do get to interact, uh, you know, one on one with folks, and I find that pretty rewarding. So I, I did it for that purpose mostly. When you came back, you and I spoke on the phone, and you were telling me some pretty interesting stories about some of the other experiencers that you got to meet and speak with there, and and I think it's important to differentiate that. Uh, at these things, you have sort of the sanctioned celebrity, quote-unquote, personality people who are speaking, doing sessions. But that's not really why you went, right, Mike? I mean, you, you were going to find kindred spirits. Last year uh, at the UFO conference, and this is this is in a, um, you know, a, a typical conference hall that you would have at, at any kind of uh, um, large hotel or something like that. So it's just a pretty bland environment that you're in. Uh, there's no windows, and it's kind of it's kind of uh, oppressive in that sense, um, and a little bit tacky. But uh, in the evening, I think it was five or six nights in a row. Leo Sprinkle last year ran a um, UFO experiencer support group, and you'd go in this little room, and there'd be a bunch of chairs in a circle, and you would sit in a circle just like just like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or any other kind of support group meeting. And the door would be closed and no press was allowed and, and no one was allowed to take notes or record anything. And people would sit around and talk about their experiences. And I did it last year and um, and I did it again this year. And this year it was run by Barbara Lamb and uh, and it was surprisingly important for me. You know, it was it was important for me last year, and that was actually the reason I went down there is to uh, you know to sort of sit in the circle, mostly to listen to other people's stories. I, I certainly am not shy about talking, um, but uh, it was really uh, it was really helpful. Now, for the listeners, Mike, fill us in on Barbara Lamb. Barbara Lamb is a hypnotherapist and family therapist from California. She's a very sweet lady. She's the only way I can describe her. The best way to describe her is if you wanted to. Um, to do a commercial for for like uh, Hallmark greeting cards, and you needed to cast a very cute grandmother, <laughs> you would you would call Barbara Lamb, and she would show up on the at the uh, casting session, and you would go, oh, she's the perfect cute grandmother, and uh, so she's got this very sweet, soft voice, and she's uh, very soothing to be in the room with, and and um, but she, I think it's over the last. I think since the mid '80s, she was doing hypnotherapy for sort of normal stuff, you know, weight loss and and uh, and uh, quitting smoking and things like that. And then and then she tells of an experience of being at a hypnosis class in the mid to early '80s before Whitley Strieber's Communion book came out. And and the teacher of the class said, "Hey, just so you know, like one of the things that comes up in uh, this this uh, hypnotherapy thing." Is that sometimes people will, you know, spontaneously start talking about memories, and these memories will have the flavor of a UFO abduction with, with people being taken uh, by little aliens, and and uh, and as soon as the, the teacher t- said that, 
Barbara Lamb heard this loud voice in her head say, pay attention, this is important. Hmm. So, And from that point on, she started to get people coming into her office um, with these with these stories. And so from the mid-'80s until the present, you know, a little over 20 years, I think, um, she's been doing uh, UFO research. And she's worked with John Mack and, and uh, Joe Lewell's um, and she, her take on it is, is a little more Peter Robbins, who's another person I respect greatly, um, sort of said she's a little more Californian than I am. And Peter Robbins is a native New Yorker. And I would have to agree with that. I lived in New York. She's, she's got a little bit of a new age bend to her. But, but being in the room with her, and I just, I recognize that she's got a really big heart. And, and that actually counts for a lot when you're in a, in a therapy setting. You went into these sessions. They went on uh, consecutive evenings. What kind of stuff was being talked about? I mean, what kind of stuff do you feel comfortable sharing with the audience about what you heard? I'll, I'll be cautious to be a little cagey because I was asked, uh, you know, not to share anything in there. So I won't use names or anything like that. Well, no names, right. I mean, let's forget names. So if, you, if you're not going to cite people's names, then, you know, there shouldn't be a problem revealing anything too personal about anybody. Let, let's divorce the personalities from the experiences here. Well, there was a, a strong divergence between the people who had very beautiful sort of communion experiences with, like, Space Brothers, and then people who had extremely disturbing and frightening sort of nightmare events with, uh, you know, with what amount to, like, you know, little evil doctors. Um, and there was a, there was a, you know, it was actually, you know, people, almost, I don't want to say shouting matches, took place but you know there was some, some very tense moments where someone would share their experience and the next person would chime in like that was not my experience this has not been my ongoing experience my ongoing experiences have been very difficult and um and and it's a emotional thing you know if someone wanted to write a stage play that was like you know heavy with drama uh boy this is this is the this is the venue you know this little you know people sitting in a circle talking about this kind of stuff cuz you know people cried and and uh in it wasn't uncommon for people just to get so upset that they would just stand up and storm out of the room it was it was quite um you know you're dealing with deep deep drama ask your question about that i know in trying to understand all of this a lot of people will you know talk about benevolence and malevolence and and i think about that a lot i think about people who report um, negative experiences and malevolent beings, do you get the feeling that they're describing something that was sort of objectively speaking a negative experience, that there were you know, negative motivations on the part of whatever the creatures were? Or do you get the sense that people, when they think about or when they refer to malevolence, that's coming just out of the complete uh, uh, oddness of the experience and their own fear reaction. You see oh, what I'm asking? I mean, oh, I know exactly what you're asking, and 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 I believe me, I'm doing battle with that exact question because I don't have an answer to that. You know, it seems like depending on which way the wind blows any given day, I'll give you a different answer. I don't have an answer, like I don't have a uh, have a conclusion on what it is, but it's yeah, certainly yeah. the evidence of of what's going on is that that people are telling these wildly divergent stories. You know, if it's someone with with uh, deep negative fears and it manifests itself as as a dark nightmarish event um you know i have no proof of that but people certainly talk about that as 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 a way that it would might be unfolding um if you're open and receptive and and not filled with fear then it might 
manifest itself as you know your your angelic space brothers coming to to impart you know the goodness of the universe but um but i don't have i am so lost at how to answer that question so i don't have any way to to wrap my mind around that because it's so strange and almost so unknowable i mean you're dealing with fragile emotional people mm-hmm. and and so the story is going to come out you know painted a certain way and i have no doubt that when the people are talking about you know their their nightmare experiences that they are genuinely you know dealing with a, a form of trauma well, it sort of brings us back to this idea of you get out of it what you put into it, and that, you know, in essence, the nature of reality is one that is self-referential, so that if you go into stuff saying, I'm going to be very, very positive about everything in my life, that essentially even negative, patently ne- negative experiences will somehow be parsed through your perception as a positive experience in terms of, you know, you forget the details of the experience that might have been negative and say, what did I learn from this? And so in that sense, you could sort of turn any bad experience into a positive learning experience. And and I've always wondered about how much of what this type of phenomena is all about. I mean, and there's so many different, when we say phenomena, everything from UFO sightings to interactions with beings to sightings or interactions with uh, things like apparitions, ghost-like phenomena, that there, there does always seem to be sort of this sense of um, the experience tailoring itself to what people's expectations of it are. And, and this is a, a topic I think we would definitely like to explore more on the Paracast. And I know you've talked about your own experiences on this show to some extent, uh, there are others we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in more detail today, but uh, I guess in, in your own life, right? How do you feel ultimately at this point in time? Because there is no, you know, there's no absolute answer to this. But do you feel that the things that you've experienced have been positive or negative? W- would you put them into either box, even? Well, this is strange because what you're asking is exactly the stuff that comes up in this little circle. It almost unlike. As far as my situation, unlike the people that uh, I've I've been dealing with directly, my experiences, which are pretty fleeting, and I feel like I've had to play detective and really look at each little puzzle piece and and make, you know, like a a real conscious effort to figure out how it fits with the other puzzle pieces in my experience um, to create the the picture that I'm, seems like only now, like that I'm kind of sensing what the picture is. But. My experiences are strangely void of any kind of emotion. It's almost like they're sucked dry of emotion. It's almost like they're so bland of emotion that I don't have any way to to, to attach any emotion to them, the memories I have. That said, um, I made a big effort to look into this stuff going back now, I'm going to say three years ago. It works out to just about three years. And in those three years, my life has been really hard. And the decision to look into it on my part has been really hard, really awkward, really hard, really emotional, lots of, uh, you know, I've been reclusive and soul-searching and and, uh, depressed and and anxious, and and so I'm dealing with an experience, as far as I know, that has no emotional content to it, but the act of looking into it has been very emotional for me, you know. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's the way I answer it. Well, no, it, it closely mirrors my own feelings about this. 
I've been largely ambivalent about a lot of this stuff in my life and really sort of pushed it into the background up until, oddly enough, almost exactly three years ago when I started doing the Paracast with Gene. And at that point, I sort of let it all come flooding in or flooding out, as the case would be. And uh, it's created a number of difficulties for me, some obvious, some not obvious. And uh, uh, at the same time, and, and you and I have compared notes on this to, to some degree, I don't feel like I have a choice. I sort of feel like... Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but keep going. Yeah, yeah no, well, I, because I think you, you can relate to this. I, I don't feel like I have a choice. I feel like, I, for whatever reason, I, I have to indulge this. And in long discussions with my wonderful honey, Susan... Uh, you know, she'll say to me, what do you expect to get out of this stuff? What do you expect to get out of doing the Paracast even? And I said to her, I, I'm not even sure. I don't know. And as you've identified, Mike, I mean, I, I've gotten frustrated with this uh, certainly at times in, in such a to such a degree that I've considered just like stopping. But ultimately, I, I kind of can't. I, I have to continue with it. And I'm not sure what that means. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, I, I kind of deal with it on a day-by-day -day basis. I don't know what it means. And yet, at the same time, uh, there'll be a piece of email that'll come in from a listener. Uh, and there's just been a lot of that lately, especially via Facebook, where people will contact me and go, you know, this, is, this, this show is giving me hope that maybe we can understand this stuff. And, uh, you know, people sensing my frustration on the forums... And then emailing you privately and saying, you know what, don't give up. You're doing something good here, and and don't give it up. So ultimately, at the end of the at the end of the whole day with this, I, I sort of think that doing the Paracast has been positive in that it's making me face my fears with this. And you're describing something. Oh my gosh! If I so so I uh, so I go down to Laughlin and I and I. So it was at the end of February. You know, I guess the point of this whole thing is to, to talk openly about this stuff. So at the beginning of February, for me, I went through a really frightening, dark period of depression, which I hadn't been through in, in uh, like 16 years. Uh, it came out of nowhere. I didn't quite know what to make sense of it, you know, how to make sense of it. And, and I realized I was actually kind of scared. Uh, the stresses in my life, I was kind of scared to deal with this subject, this kind of crazy, you know, fringy UFO stuff. And I was going to go down to Laughlin and immerse myself in this in this nut job world um, for, you know, a week. And I mean, immerse yourself. You don't leave the building. You know, there's no place to go. Um, and I was intimidated and frightened by it. And then I realized, like, nope, i got to follow through with this. And, and, uh, and I, um, you know, by the time I went down there, I was feeling pretty good. Um, but at the same time, it was an odd chapter of like deep self-examination this trip for me um and and i don't i don't mean that lightly and i would take people aside and uh and sit with them and and there's like a like a how to say it i mean you're you're, you're like you're given permission in a ufo conference to have a heart-to-heart -heart with someone at, you know when you sit with them um yeah yeah so uh Every, everybody's already sort of out on a limb to begin with i guess exactly yeah so you see the little niceties like you know you know sometimes in my little town here where i live it might take me a decade to get to know someone and then uh, well enough to to share some of my experiences but but you know you just you just jump right into it at the at the conference so i, I talked to a lot of people and a couple things came up um one of them came up in the support group you know there's people sitting in a circle in a little closed room, 
And I remember this woman raising her hand and kind of saying, listen, I have to ask everyone in the room, do you feel like an oppressive sense of, of urgency right now? And everyone in the room kind of rolled their eyes and put their hand up like, oh, yeah, like it was universal. Everyone in the room was sensing it. And and whether that's just because, uh, you know, everyone's worried about losing their job and there's, there's, there's giant economic issues that are creating anxiety in all of us, or mm-hmm. is there some sort of reason that, that we're not privy to, uh, you know, behind the curtain that's creating this, this oppressiveness? I have no idea. I don't have a good answer to that, but I feel it. I definitely feel it. I'm feeling it, and I'm and I sat with folks. I sat with folks and talked about it. I, there's a there's a, a great person who sort of was the new darling of the of the scene down there. Her name is Miriam Delicato, and she was she. Uh, I saw her on day one, and I just kind of saw her at the little coffee shop, and I and I said, listen, I recognized her because I had heard an interview with her and seen her. Uh, you know, picture was on the interview thing where a little podcast interview. Mm-hmm. Which was excellent. So I so I knew her story, and I went right up to her and I said, "Listen, we got to talk." And she was like, "Okay, let's make some time to talk." And and um, we had lunch, and then sat with each other for a good few few sessions or sections of the conference. And uh, you know, she articulated exactly the same thing, and she articulated it in a way that was very uh, well, kind of grand the way she articulated it. Who is but, she? She is a Canadian. She must be in her early 40s now. She's a, She had a UFO abduction experience in the early 80s. And the way she tells the story, it was with like, it was a very frightening experience, uh, you know, driving in a car full of people at, a, at night in a rural area of British Columbia. Uh, all of a sudden, the, the person who's driving the car pulls over and everyone in the car you know, in essence, gets switched off. They, they're staring blankly comatose forward. And a and a big giant, uh, you know, flying saucer lands next to their car at night, and um, and she's compelled to get out of the the car, and then she meets these beautiful angelic, you know, blonde Nordic characters, mm-hmm. and um, she's in essence given a prophecy, and very specific, uh, which I I wouldn't be. I would do a poor job of retelling it here, so I won't. And then they basically said, okay, it's not going to be time yet. Uh, just sit on this, and and we'll tell you when it's time. And uh, so almost 20 years go by, and she wrote it all up. She talks about typing it on a manual typewriter, and then it was all stored away. And now um, they came back, basically, and said, oh, now's the time. And uh, so she's out sort of speaking. She's got a little bit of a – I don't want to say she's playing the role of a prophet – but, but she's sharing information, basically saying now is the time for people with this experience to come forward, which is a very strange thing for me to hear because I've been coming forward this in a pretty bold way, um, you know, appearing on the show, and, and, and I've got a little blog thing that I've been posting my experiences on. So, um, And then I'll also add that I've been involved in a documentary where there's a film crew that's been following me around as I look into these experiences. Well, what's the general gist? Uh, don't, you don't have to give us exact details, and you don't have to worry about paraphrasing her statements, but what's the general gist of what she was told? The general gist is a little bit uh, that we are in an environment now, like right now, and this all collides with the 2012 thing, so it's, it's, it's full of like you know, new age aphorisms and things. Yeah. So, all right. But um, we're at a time right now where this information is important for people to hear. You know, we have the choice now whether it descends into negati- negativity or it ascends into a positive new chapter of humanity. 
uh, and I recognize completely how, uh, you know, flighty and new agey this stuff sounds. And, and if I had heard my own voice, you know, three years ago saying this, I would have, you know, cringed in, 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 uh, discomfort at the, at the level of like, you know, of, of fanciful goofiness that sounds. But that was, a, that was the same message in essence that was showing up from a lot of people. And it, and it's the stuff of, you know, of a lot of metaphysical books and new age books and things like that right now. Right, right. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Mike Clellan, one of our listeners who has undergone some unusual experiences, but also went to Lachlan, Nevada, where you connected with a support group to talk about the things that happened to you. Let me ask you, do you think looking at the end of it that you learned to put what happened to you in perspective or was it positive or was it a negative experience to go through all this? Like all of it or just the, the I mean, it's... it's just a, this particular session, this particular oh, you know, meeting. Sure, it was, it, was, it was positive. Yeah, it was positive. I came away with a, you know, I, I talked about going down there in a state of like, you know, anxiety and all being mixed up and, and I feel like I drove back uh, in a state of clarity, uh, a little more, and just feels like, oh, like I'm on the right path. I'm not doing anything. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing exactly what I is right for me to do right now. And, and part of that is doing what I'm doing right here is just, just sharing this stuff and talking about it online. In the discussion I had had with you over the phone, Mike, there was um, one particular case we were talking about, and I'm hoping that you'll, you'll elaborate on it a little bit now on the show, uh, that involved a family. Yeah, this is. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll mix up a few of the the details and things like that just to protect them. They were very tense. Uh, so you sit in these circles in this room, you know, and you look around the room, and and uh, you know it is like absolutely a, a 
cross section of America. You know, it, if you like went and just picked thirty people at random and put them in the room, that's exactly what it looked like. There was no, you know, there was there was no pattern to be seen. But the one pattern that did emerge, as far as just just the people, is there was a level of anxiety and tension in these folks. People seemed to be, you know, tense and dealing with something that was creating that in their lives. There was a father there, and he was the same age as me. We talked about it a little bit afterwards. And he had his 12-year-old daughter there. She was, you know, she was quiet and, and tense and soft-spoken. And, um, and he was also there with his wife. And the wife did not come into the meetings, but the father and daughter did. And, and uh, in listening to the father tell the stories, he told stories. In, in, in the literature of the UFO abduction phenomenon, there is this reoccurring theme of people being asked to perform duties, uh, like, you know, like tests. Um, you know, th- I've read so many different things in books where people talk about, you know, like, oh, you know, you have to escort everyone to the bomb shelter, and then you're in this virtual reality experience, and all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you have to corral people, take them to the bomb shelter, and that's your test. He talked about tests, like going through them night after night after night, and he was there to meet other people who had the same experience. I don't know if he actually did. A few other people seemed to have that same thing, but he talked about in his hometown, which is over on the East Coast, um, meeting people with the same set of experiences. And I think he's up to like 13 people that he's met that have literally the exact same memories of the exact same tests. And his tests are absolutely the stuff of, I don't know, they're so cinematic in their nature. He was talking about, um, you know, like being, like the test is you're on an ocean liner and the terrorists have taken over the ocean liner and there's a bomb, on, you know, so either you kill the terrorist or the bomb goes off. And it's a sort of like personality test where he feels like he was being tested to kill people. And he said he did very poorly um, and it didn't work. And he said sometimes in these virtual reality scenarios he would die, and then like it was literally like a like a video game where like you know like they would you know the scenario would be over, ping, and he'd be he'd be thrust back into his dream state. Um, and he has lots of stories about uh, you know seeing UFOs in his yard and flying saucers and interacting with beings, and and it was it was so rich and so complicated. And he told a story of his um, well actually his daughter, you know, then shared a story that she's been experiencing the same things. The way they told, and this is the stuff of absolute fanciful stuff where, where, you know, it's hard to believe it. But so this fellow would tell stories that were extraordinarily vivid and very cinematic. And it was very strange because they were so weirdly vivid and, and, and rich in detail that it, that I was, I was having a hard time believing him. Um, and I still don't quite know what to make of his stories, but he seemed quite earnest and quite, quite genuine. And his daughter was backing him up. He would tell stories of, of, uh, these virtual reality scenarios where he would have to perform dramatic rescues or have these dramatic tests, uh, and oftentimes they would be – one example would be he told a story of being on an ocean liner. He would tell these stories where sometimes he would actually die in the scenario, and, uh, and it sounded like, you know, for all the world, like a video game. And, uh, and then the scenario would be over, and poof, he'd be back in some sort of, I don't know, UFO-type situation, and his daughter was backing him up on these things, and he was genuinely – Tense about his his experiences. Now, when and you Jane, say his daughter was backing him up, right? Well, let's try to understand that. I mean, 
Was she there? Was she having the same experience along with him? They would get up in the morning after having a fitful night of, you know, unrestful sleep. And they would, he talked about literally sitting down at the breakfast table with his son and daughter, and they would all tell the same story at the breakfast table. And it sounded like it freaked his wife out. You know, she, she was, she was, you know, traumatized. She wasn't having any experiences, but she was so freaked out that all of them were talking about the same experiences in the morning. Uh, and the daughter, uh, the daughter told this really, you know, frightening story about waking up or you know, having a, having a dream of, of, uh, of some sort of like operation that was taking place that was very vivid and very frightening and then waking up with a long scar you know on her torso that was unknown to her when she went to bed and she she had a dream of some sort of operation and then she woke up with a with a razor like scar and um now hold on now you're saying also the father had identified like up to 13 other people who and just to, for clarity's sake he would see in these experiences and then would would know them in actual like meat space and they would confirm these things to him in reality you know that's a hard one for me to answer because i would just be paraphrasing from memory but pretty much yes yeah pretty much yes and then they would go on to tell the same set of dreams and the same set of experiences down to down to like frighteningly uh intricate details and this is all taking place in his hometown that's just amazing yeah it is absolutely amazing it's absolutely amazing and uh so here I'll give you a little a little uh, a little aside here. So this woman Miriam, who I talked about, Miriam Delicato, and she claims to have psychic abilities, and she writes about it in her book, and she talks about it in her in her um, discussions. So I'm, the father and daughter are standing there in the hallway, and I had just finished talking to Miriam, and I kind of come out of one room and walk towards the main hall, and and I and I meet the father and daughter, and I say hello, and and uh, and then out of the blue they just say. You know, part of the, the father says, part of the reason I came here was to introduce my daughter to Miriam Delicato. And I was like, well, she's right in the other room. They didn't know what she looked like. There was no picture of her on the, uh, on the, uh, like the, the, the catalog or anything. Yeah, right. So, so I said, oh, I'll introduce you. So I walk them over and, and she's sitting behind her desk and she's got like, you know, a little, uh, you know, pile of her books. And I, and, uh, you know, you know, Miriam and I introduce everyone and, and then I kind of realize like, oh, I should just probably just walk away. And I walk away for 15 minutes and then I come back and, uh, and Miriam's got a very intense way about her. I mean, she's very focused when she talks to someone. She looks you right in the eye and it's a, it's a little unnerving. She's so focused and I could see she was in that state, you know, so I kind of walk up and I was going to join the conversation and she in no uncertain term, like put her hand up, like, you know, like halt and then pushed me, you know, like kind of said back off. Uh, so, I, so I was like, okay, backed off and kind of milled around a little bit and kind of watched him from the corner of my eye from the other side of the of the little, you know, the, the room there. And then I saw them say goodbye. And a little bit later, I ran into Miriam, and she's very uh, emotional person and very, you know, she hugs people a lot and stuff like that. She walked right up to me and hugged me and said, that was the most important thing I've ever done. That was the reason I came to this conference was to talk to that mm. young girl. Um and I was, you know, like, whoa, you know, that made me feel pretty good. And then, and then I later on, you know, this is like, you know, this is later on. I talked to the father, and and uh, after Miriam gave her presentation, and uh, the father, you know, I said, hey, what'd you think of Miriam's presentation? And he looked at me with this in this very calm way, which he hadn't been calm before. He was very tense in a very calm way. He said, well, I feel like I have a, you know, mission statement for how to lead my life. Yeah. So this is like, you know, in in you know, like I mean, you have to deal with some. 
you know, whatever. You're like walking around in a circle there with like, you know, people that I don't respect are, are you know, giving presentations. But then you have like moments like that. It was really, you know, there's a side to this that can be really emotional and really touching. In terms of the father and the daughter talking about these experiences, did they convey any sort of message or any sort of overall feeling about what had happened in these experiences? Did they feel like they had received any information? You know, that's hard to say. It felt like I, I wouldn't be able to answer. The stories that he was most interested in telling, the father, and the daughter was very soft-spoken, so I have a hard time, you know, speaking for her, but the the story the father was telling was mostly these, these kind of odd virtual reality tests. And he was angry and tense and confused and, and, uh, and, and quite rightly, you know, questioning his own sanity as far as I could tell. And that was part of the thing. I think that the meeting all these other people had been, you know, had been very reassuring for him. Hmm. More experiences. What what other kinds of things did you hear about in these uh, support group style meetings? Um, you know, it was interesting. One of the things that happens is, you know, there's a sort of Dave Jacobs, Bud Hopkins uh, scenario that gets played out. And I would actually say to a very small percentage, the larger percentage of stories that I heard uh, were much more of a coming from a place of high strangeness and, and from a place of, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, that divergent from those, from the Bud Hopkins thing, you know, uh, as far as meeting, you know, angels and soul guides. And, and uh, so it had that end of it, which is very interesting. You don't really get that if you, if you allow yourself to be pigeonholed into one little small section of, 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 of how the research is done. Um, you know, I think that all those researchers are doing very real research. You know, I, I trust Bud Hopkins and I think Dave Jacobs is very sincere in the research he's doing, but it but it didn't reflect the the bigger picture that I was seeing in these support groups. And in terms of veracity of this stuff, I mean, you know, obviously you're very open minded about all this, but at the same time, like you said, you lived in New York for at least a decade. I'm guessing some of that rubbed off on you. What percentage of what you were hearing did you feel uh, would would satisfy any kind of proof of credibility for you personally? So this is obviously a subjective call, but when you walked out of there, did you think to yourself, all right, half of what I just heard is is baloney, the other half is, is compelling? What were the ratios? Oh, that's a tough one because some of the stuff some of the stuff was you know, I think I was hearing it from folks that, that may have had a very real experience and then somehow in their in their own mind it got all scrambled up. And then when they retell the story, it's projected in in sort of like you know you know like I'm I'm in connection with my with my alien space family that lives in the Pleiades, and then so so there may be at the root of it some very real experience, and this experience is colored in a way that comes out as 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 almost fanciful and, and unbelievable. Business travel is a profitability killer, you know that. So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service. With just a click, launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. 
try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net you've entered another dimension you've entered the paracast Mike Cleland, and his experiences meeting people who have had unusual experiences in Laughlin, Nevada, where they had a UFO Congress that he's gone to two years in a row. And we haven't so much talked about the Congress as talk about the things that happen. Now, these other people getting all these experiences, which start reading almost like that one-armed character out in... <laughs> one of the Scandinavian countries, okay? Switzerland, that's not Scandinavia. Yeah. Yes, okay, well, excuse me. No, okay. I'm Scandinavian, so so I, I I'll take some. Huh. Okay, well, exclude. <laughs> trying to be coy there. Yeah. Okay. But well, anyway, referring to that thing, do you think that there is anything genuine, some genuine source behind these experiences? Is it all wishful thinking? What? You know, you're you're like the the soup is so stirred up and mixed up. I have I can't give a good answer to that. I mean, there's folks that I relate with really well, and I connected with really well, and then I made every effort to sit and spend time with those folks. And then there's other folks that had stories that to me were, you know, like it's if you've put a continuum, right? And on one end of the continuum is is like you know I I you know looked out the window and I saw you know this light in the sky way off in the distance and it sure seemed to be behaving oddly okay that's at one end and you go all the way to the other end of the continuum and then there's people who say like you know I'm an alien hybrid and my you know my parents were involved in the CIA and and uh, and now I'm like being used as this tool from like the messengers of the Pleiades and, and I mean I certainly met people like that too you know there's two ends of the continuum and and depending on my mood and the, during the day, it's like where I fall as far as how I believe that, um, you know, and I don't know where I am on the continuum as far as my story, because my story is just as unbelievable as, as you know, the person who's, who tells something that sounds patently delusional. Well, now, let's take a little detour for a moment. I want to come back to Laughlin, but uh, there's an experience you talked about briefly on the show before that now uh, apparently you can discuss in a little more detail. So let's just go r- jump right into that for a moment, if you would. Okay. 
Sure. Yeah, and this is this is I I um I was very coy on the last uh, time I was on, which I think was November of of '08, and um I told you personally of the story, and I and I chose not to talk about it in front of an you know a, obviously a big audience like like it's going to be listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. but um. And I've since there was another person involved, and I've talked to her, and and it'll become really obvious why uh, you know I was coy about it. Um, but I talked to her, and she gave me permission to, to share this. So now I'm sharing it because I think it's relevant. This would have been in 2001, and I'm pretty sure it was January of 2001. I was living with a woman, and this is the woman I'm talking about. Her name is Kim, and we both woke up in the middle of the night uh, at exactly the same time, and. Uh, Hey, hey, hey. How does how to say this? How's your Yiddish? I think both of our Yiddish is pretty good. Okay, so the the term shtup. I, <laughs> so yeah, I okay, think so. that's a term that just about everybody knows. Okay, yeah, it's, it's, uh, right. So I live in Idaho, so maybe not people here. So, but um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we woke up in the act of sex, and now you woke and up into talking- it. You woke up oh, right yeah, in- nothing. No, no, no. I like to, we were just kind of like spooning a little bit under the covers. I mean, it was like, it was, this is, a, feels funny to say this, but I'm just going to keep on going. Um, yeah, it was, uh, we both woke up and I, like, if you snapped your fingers, bink, both of our eyes, like, all of a sudden were open. We're in the act of, you know, a very intimate, uh, performance. And, uh, and we both, in essence, say, oh my God, what just happened? How did this happen? What's happening? It was extremely odd. It was late at night, it, uh, it, and I don't know when it was, but it was you know, you know, well after midnight and well before dawn, so um, somewhere in there. It was dark in the room. I'll add that we never talked about it afterwards. I think at one point she said, you know, wasn't it weird that when we woke up like that, you know, uh, like a month or so later, and then I, I completely dismissed it and never said anything about it. I remember it was kind of distressing. Um, so we never talked about it. Later... It's part of my, like, this journey that I've been on as far as, like, trying to contact people and talking to people. I was in Philadelphia. I was sitting with Dave Jacobs. And Dave Jacobs said, you want to know if someone's had, a, you know, an abduction experience? You want to know if someone's had a weird UFO experience? You don't have to ask about aliens. You don't have to ask about flying saucers. All you have to ask him is, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to them? You'll know right away. Whatever answer they give, you'll know right away if, they, if they've had any kind of experience. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it. And and I remember later that next day, and I was staying in New York at the time where I lived. I was staying with some friends. I thought about that, and I said, you know, if someone asked Kim that question, she would tell that story about that night in 2001. And I sat with my friend. I was staying at a friend's house, and, and he's a smart guy. He actually has his own very vivid UFO story. but that's <laughs> So he's he's very open to, to my experiences, so I've shared a lot with him. Um and then I talked with him. I said, listen, here's this thing that happened with, with my old girlfriend, Kim and I. And I talked about it, and I described it, and I said, I think I said something to the effect of, and I, I'm pretty sure I wrote it down. I said, you know, we were doing something that you needed to get into consciously, but somehow we arrived there unconsciously, and the f- arriving like that so abruptly was really jarring. And uh, And he said, wow, that's really strange. And so... Later on that same day, um, I, I sat at it was I was at his apartment, and I called Kim up. We're on good terms, and I, we talk all the time. And I called her up, and, I, and she still lives in uh, rural Idaho here. And I said, um, "Listen, I have to talk to you, and, and uh, I have to ask some questions." And she was like, "You know, I could tell she was a little taken aback." And she's like, "Go on." And I said, "That night in 2001, do you remember that night?" And she was very tense. She said, "Yes." 
And then I would press her a little bit, and she would. She did not want to talk about it. She did not want to talk about it, but I refused. I was just like, okay, you got to tell the story. And I just, so here's what she said. She said, and I was writing this down. I definitely was writing this down um, as I was taking notes as I was on the phone. She said, it was very unusual to, to do something that you need to arrive at consciously and somehow to, to do it unconsciously and to be thrust into consciousness so abruptly was really jarring. Bingo. So in essence, she said, I don't want to say word for word, but um, it sure felt like word for word. What I had just told my friend, you know, a half hour earlier, and it really made my heart sink. It kind of scared me. It kind of freaked me out that she she remembered so exactly the way I remembered it, like to the point of almost word for word. Um, and then neither of us could really come up with much more. We didn't really have much more as far as da- details on this. So I'll jump forward. This is – I'll – um, I'm in New York City and part of this like weird journey and you know like running around trying to interview folks and talk to folks and take notes and so I, I was working with Bud Hopkins. I, um, so I go to Bud Hopkins apartment or his house in the city and I had had an appointment I'd seen him earlier in the week and I was back again um, and I walk in the you know that next morning I walk in to see Bud and I sit right down and I like you know he's got a couch and I just we, like I just get right and, we, and I say listen Bud I got to tell the story. And I unload exactly the same story I just told to you, including all the details about Kim, you know, retelling her memories on the phone. And then I, I look at Bud and I say, listen, has this, has this ever come up in your research? And Bud makes this expression and kind of rolls his eyes. And he basically, just from his expression, says, oh, boy. Boy, this one comes up all the time. I have, boy, have I heard this one. I've read, you know, so many books on the subject. I've never heard of this thing ever. Has, has just out of curiosity, has this? Have you ever heard of this? Either of you? No, actually, I haven't. And it was making me think, you know, the the, the time that we've talked about it in the past privately, and now as you're recounting, it's made me think, you know, has anybody looked into how often this happens, just in general? Are there medical reports or are there anecdotal uh, 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 stories about people waking up into this? I've never read about any of this in any kind of erotica. No, I, I, I or or just, in any kind of UFO format. You know, like in no one who's written a UFO book. I don't. I haven't well, seen I'm, it either. Maybe they think. You know, let me just interrupt briefly here. Maybe they think it's not politically correct to get into something that revolves around a sexual activity. It's a natural thing to happen, and you would expect it, maybe it would, but maybe that's the issue. Yeah. Well, it's being hidden. I think the issue being here that a lot of things go on, people encounter a lot of strange things. And just listening to you, I've heard a few things from time to time from people I've talked to, and they don't want to talk about it because it sounds too outlandish, too crazy, a little bit pushing the envelope. Just like you were, for example, how should I phrase the sex act? What's the yeah. best way to express it? And you could have just said, we're having sex. But, of course, our society tends to be embarrassed by sexual innuendo, sexual intimations about doing things that are perfectly natural. And therefore, as soon as we hear something, well, we've got to couch it in the right politically correct terms. We don't want to upset people. We don't want people to consider this. You know, for example, when you hear about people who meet alien women, how often do you hear of them doing things with that alien woman? Well, you can't <laughs> well, go that you go far. To, you, go, you go to a little circle in, in Laughlin, Nevada, and it comes up, believe me. So... Well, we have well, to go to Laughlin, Nevada more often, David. Yeah. 
Well, I, 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 the reason I was asking about how often this has been reported, just in general, from a medical point of view, it would be to establish, a essentially establish that, yeah, exactly, that this is, you know, if this is something that happens all the time in people's private lives, well, that's one thing, you know, then, then can you attribute some weirdness to it? Um, that isn't biological weirdness. It's like, no, you know, at that point, if it's happening all the time, uh, personally, from an anecdotal point of view, I've never heard of this happening to anyone in the paranormal realm or outside of it. Well, this is uh, interesting because, you know, you're talking to a, you know, I think that the people who listen to this this podcast are smart and 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 interested in the subject, and, it, and and maybe someone out there has can chime in on the forums or something mm -hmm, like that and follow up mm -hmm. on this. Exactly. Now, when when this was when this happened, all right? Let's sort of finish the description. No pun intended. How did it end? I mean, did it end the way these things tend to end, or what? What was the? Did, describe, give us some details about. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're asking exactly the same question that Bud asked. Uh, yeah. You know, he he kind of like you know, in no uncertain terms, asked that same question. And to be honest, I can't remember. So curious. Right. That, yeah. Now that's weird. Well, now you don't, so you know, nine years ago or eight years ago now. So no, no, I understand. But even like, you know, thinking about, it, was there completion? You know, you woke up into this. What's your last memory of it? I mean, you literally don't remember. Uh, you know, I can't really remember. Yeah, like, I mean, I, if I, I would only be guessing, so I, I don't have any good answer to that. I'll tell you what, Mike. We're going to want to explore this through some other of our second hour. On the Paracast, we'd like you to stay with us. But before we do that, you do have a blog, and I think our listeners who are curious about your experiences and your opinions would be interested in reading it. So tell us where do we find it? Yeah. So since I've been back from from uh, Laughlin, uh, I've I got kind of compelled to do this little blog thing. So I've been posting some of my experiences, uh, and a lot of them are odd synchronicities, uh, which are. Some of them are just kind of funny, but I, it's under the title of Hidden Experience, all one word, dot blogspot.com. And I'll repeat that. Hidden Experience, all one word, dot blogspot.com. You know what, Mike? And I'm not I'll selling put, anything on the blog, so. Okay. Well, you should add, you know, some kind of monetization. But what I'll do is I'll put the link to that under your name in the description of the show so people can just click on your name and get there. We'll talk more with Mike Cleland on the other side of the Paracast. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. 
And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Listener, experiencer Mike Clellan joining us again now. He's a blogger, and after we promote his blog, everybody will be reading it. But, you know, there's always been through the UFO field an undercurrent of sex and saucers. You know, ha ha, ho ho, he he. But to people who are involved and have unusual experiences, it's a lot more than that. It can be very, very strange. So you said that you had talked to dr jacobs about this particular thing what was his reaction i made a phone call afterwards to dave jacobs and and i you know i'd met with him and and uh, i got along with him really well i actually like the guy personally a great deal and and uh, and he seems very serious in his in his the way he studies it and it's interesting because he, he he's very cautious not to you know i'm the person trying to make sense of my experience he's very cautious not to give me too much information you know in order not to sort of uh, you know make me come to conclusions that that you know would be influenced on stories he tells me but uh so i told him ex- just exactly what i just told you both of you and he very coyly sort of said interesting interesting and i kind of pressed him on it and he and i was like does this come up and and i kept on pressing on it and pretty much he said that you know though he had not heard exactly this story uh, before the one that i had told um, unlike Bud, who who you know just parroted right back and told me a couple of experiences that were that matched exactly, he said that he's had sim- experiences that were very similar show up in his research, and that's as much as he would say. And he and then he kind of hinted that it was multiple experiences. All right, now going into this more detail, going back to your sessions over there in Laughlin, Nevada. Now was there. Anything there of all these claims where you just said, you know what, this person is faking it? You know, I never thought faking it. The, the thing that was more, that would come up is like, oh, this poor person might be delusional. And this might be like the way, uh, uh, you know, mental illness is, is, is presenting itself. But I never quite saw anyone faking it. And just and just sort of like from my shoes right here, I don't know why anyone would want to fake this. It's not... There's no there's no joy or ego involved in this story for me. It's it's a complicated and and distressing thing for me to talk about and to deal with. So um, I didn't see, sense anyone faking it. But I I had a nice conversation with a woman, and she was really good about just saying which I needed to hear because I was kind of wallowing in the fact that you know uh, that there is that element of of uh, you know looniness there in a way. Um, and she was really good about just saying, like, like this is it's just people's stories, you know, just like listen to their stories. Don't be judgmental now, uh, because you know you, my story is just as irrational and just as strange as any of their stories. So how can I be in a position to to judge their stories? What I did do though is I, I said the people who I connected with really well, I just allowed that, and I just like then just made an effort to sit with them and hang out with them and listen to them and share with them. And the and the people that I didn't connect with really well, I just I just moved on. What about speakers? You, you've actually uh, sort of avoided bringing up any of the you know, featured speakers, but we're curious, uh, who did you potentially hear that surprised you? Maybe you liked when you thought you might not have. 
Who did you mm-hmm. find compelling along the speaker side of this event? What I'll do is I'll, I'm going to blend in because I was there in 08 and in 09, and, and I'm just going to blend them together here because I had such a good experience in 08. You know, some of the speakers I really liked, um, there's a woman named Dolores Cannon that I really liked, and she is very new agey and does this wild, deep hypnosis technique where she will... Uh, you know, get channeled information from her hypnosis patients, and, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, like I find kind of interesting, and, and but I easily dismiss. But I thought she was great. I really, I, and she's another one that that has this. Not unlike Barbara Lamb, is a very cute and sweet grandmother character. And I, for some reason, I just resonate with that so much. I, I just, I'm just drawn into those that type of personality. Um, there's a fellow named Mike Orham from the UK, and he told of. Uh, of a heavy-handed set of abduction experiences, and um, and I thought he was really interesting. Richard Dolan spoke uh, last year, and I thought he was he was great. And you know who I actually sat and had coffee with was James Fox, and great. I really liked him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're about the same age, and we we actually there was through uh, you know we had a mutual friend, and so it was really easy just to to pal around with him. So he was great. Um, I liked him a lot. Uh, Peter Robbins. Uh, is great, and there's a fellow who I would actually uh, think might be a good, potentially a good person to interview on this show is a Dr. Joe Lules. This was last year, and he was great. I, I had a, I, I really thought he was. Um, I had a big, a lot of respect for him. A clinical therapist doing doing hypnosis work as well as doing research into the to the UFO phenomenon. And he's written two books. One of them is called uh, The God Hypothesis, which I thought was great, and another book called Rulers of the Earth, where he kind of looks at uh, you know. Things that take place in the Bible and how it how it parallels the UFO phenomenon. He's a smart guy. Um, Leo Sprinkle was there last year, and I, he's, I like him a lot. You know who I actually talked with a little bit, but the presentation was amazing and 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 compelling. There's a guy named Charlie Fultz and, and Jim Weiner, um, and those are the two of the folks from the Allagash abduction event that um, that uh, that was the basis of the book. So um, Raymond Fowler wrote a book, uh, I think it came out in the early 90s, um, called The Allagash Abduction. There were four friends all going to art school together. Uh, two of them were twins. And in 1976, they they were on a camping trip in northern Maine um, on, on, with a canoe. They were canoeing uh, in a series of lakes and rivers. And they had a nighttime... Uh, you know, out-and-out abduction, a missing time event, very bold, very dramatic, seeing a UFO. Um, and afterwards, they didn't talk about it among themselves, but later they were having um, very similar dreams. All of them started having very similar dreams. Um, they went to Ray Fowler, Raymond Fowler, and as a, as a researcher, and he separated them all, put them all through hypnotic regression, um, they all told ex- pretty much the same story, and this is one of the wonderful things about the story is they were all art students, so they all drew similar things in their uh, from their memories uh, without uh, without contaminating each other. And the the drawings are extremely unsettling, very curious stuff about about like just literally like each person individually drawing close-ups of fingers of, of like very odd beings with uh, with uh, I can't remember how many fingers but it wasn't five let me put it that way um, and uh, and these two guys got nothing to prove everything to lose uh, they're not presenters they're not showmen they're just you know they gave a talk that was absolutely riveting and I'll add that 
the fellow Chuck talked about, and, and afterwards their lives had a had a, a, a ongoing paranormal and ongoing. The, the the assumption is that there's ongoing abduction stuff that was occurring afterwards. So the fellow Chuck, who must be in his early fifties now. You know, this is a PowerPoint presentation. These guys are excellent illustrators and excellent drawers. So their their slides or their what was going up on the screen were the renderings were beautiful. This guy Chuck shows a slide that sh- that was of him lying in bed with a series of gray aliens out his window, um, and he was staying at a friend's house. So he was downstairs in like their guest bedroom, um, and this this event took place. He said his reaction to this whole event was, you know, he woke up in the middle of the night, looked out the window, and it was like a big sliding glass door, so there was like, you know, like that would go out to a porch. He looked and saw, I can't remember how many it was now, but more than one gray alien, and his reaction was to put his head on the pillow and cover his head with a blanket and go right back to sleep. Sounds Mm. familiar. And and, (laughs) uh, so I see this big slide up on the screen, and I had... And I don't know, you know, just earlier, I don't know whether it was weeks or months earlier, but earlier in the year, I had drawn almost the exact yep. same illustration, and it's up on your on your uh, it's posted on the on the on the Paracast forums. Absolutely, and it's of me sitting in bed, looking out the window at a series of gray aliens, and it freaked me out to sit yep. in the audience and see this. And I later went up and talked to him, and you know, I shared a little bit of that, and and, uh, and and the guy was, you know, super sweet, unassuming guy. Had nothing to, had nothing to try to, you know, there was no ego invested in his presentation, you know. So, um, yeah, I was I was kind of thunderstruck when that happened. So you're not the only one who's had this kind of thing happen to you. And I'm not the only one who's drawn it. I mean, if we put those two illustrations side by side, I could. I think I can get a hold of that illustration pretty easily, and, and I'm going to put those two side by side. Uh, maybe I'll post them on the forum. Um, it was weird to to uh, to have, um, you know, to see that like that in a in a room with the actual person standing in front of me, knowing full well I had drawn almost the exact same drawing, uh, you know, just months before. Ooh. Now he wasn't familiar with what you had done in the forums or not what you all. talked about on the show. Not at all. He had no idea who I was. And, and you had a similar reaction, right, if I'm remembering correctly? My reaction was, and this shows up on our previous interview, my, my reaction was I looked out the window. It was a very bright light. I saw five gray aliens kind of standing in a line pretty close to the window, and my face was really close to the window, so they, they weren't that far away. Um, my reaction was to... And I'm almost going to say this is going to sound strange. And it was I almost heard a voice inside my head say, now it's time to shut down, lay your head on the pillow. Yeah. And I promptly put my head on the pillow, and poof, I was out instantly. And I will also add that that, that experience is, is – I woke up the next morning, and I, I completely dismissed it. It was a dream. It, was, it, was, uh, it never happened. Um, it had a sort of foggy, otherworldly – tone to it and i will say that that experience of all my experiences is the hardest one for me to wrap my mind around that is the easiest one for me to say nope never happened it's just too it's too bizarre it's too far out it's too dramatic and and i can just say nope just just all those things add up to it it's impossible it never happened that said yeah that said uh i i remember it very clearly oh boy go ahead, go ahead. Uh, about that Mike. do you have 
any fear associated with that experience? You know, it's interesting. Uh, that experience, I, I said this before, is sort of sucked dry of any emotion. It feels like I should, you know, I should either feel absolute wonder, you know, like oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, and, and uh, or I should feel completely terrified. I don't have either. And quite literally, I have no emotion at all attached to that. And, so, the, and the emotion I do have attached to it is just, uh, you know, quandary or almost out and out embarrassment, just like retelling it. You know, that just seems so silly. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then... A coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockwells lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockwells is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. talking to listener Mike Cleland about the time he saw gray aliens in his window. And I'm wondering, do you think maybe we can just say this, the aliens were feeding you a little mind control so you would not react emotionally one way or the other in any extreme fashion? I've never said that out loud on this thing, but that's exactly what it felt like. And I, and I guess I've given you all the clues and letting you come up with that on your own. But, I mean, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I was, you know, I was being controlled. David doesn't know this, but we always had a strange feeling. Myself, my wife didn't have this. In a place we used to live up till about three years ago. We've lived in Arizona since 1993. And we moved into this place that I selected. I came out here alone and picked out the place. And we had a large master bedroom, and you could see the foyer from it. And quite often, I'd look at that foyer and I'd have a feeling of fear that something was there watching me. I never said this before on the show. Okay, I'm one of these people who 
can say I haven't had what I think to be a paranormal experience. I have no idea why I felt that way. Now, we're currently living in a different place with not a dissimilar layout, the large master bedroom, the foyer section, never feel it here. Did, did your wife feel it there as well? No. No. Not at all. All right. Never mentioned it to me. All right. Because if she, if she did... This is something that has come up, uh, certainly looking at things like um, ghost research. Very often, if you find in a home or in any kind of a, a facility where these things are going on, uh, an unprotected breaker box or uh, any source of a large amount of, um, you know, like a, a, a electronic RF leakage, you know, uh, uh, large amounts of radio frequency information, you know, energy coming out of, let's say, again, like a like a, a, a breaker box that's not properly, you know, insulated. Uh, sometimes that kind of energy can create a sense of oppression or a sense of uh, being watched. Well, I'll tell you this. The breaker box is a standard breaker box that you see in new construction here. We're talking about a house that was built about a year before we occupied it. Mm-hmm. And the breaker box was in the garage, not super close to the master bedroom. All right. And, you know, I grant that could be a possibility that maybe I was more sensitive to it than she was. I have no idea. Or maybe she never told me, you know. Yeah, just like when you have a, a recurring, reoccurring situation like that, you, you, it often is useful to sort of eliminate those kinds of considerations or sources. From under, you know, from the, the process of trying to understand what's going on. Well, in terms of RF, we have a lot more here because I have two routers, we have portaphones, we have all sorts of things going on. And I think if there is any kind of radiation running around loose, we have more of it here than we had there. Yes, yeah, so it's just like it, it was just like a feeling you had, right? Uh, right, and there was nothing, you know, physical or no experiential stuff to sort of not back. at all. But I always had the feeling that if I looked a little bit too hard, I'd see it. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. as close as I came, except for the time when I had those recurring dreams as a child where I saw these big black objects coming towards me at night in our home in Brooklyn. And this was limited to one specific house in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn. If you went back there today, you'd probably call it a combat zone. I don't think you'd have to want to come back there or visit there without an armed guard, so I don't intend to do it. Probably the house is long since torn down. Probably say that's a that's a good possibility. Mm. So, Mike, going back to the blog that you have up, where you talk about these uh, kind of uh, bits of serendipity uh, and little bits of oddness, elaborate on this. How do you think? I mean, you know, there are some interesting stories on this blog. And um, this, these issues of synchronicity, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who think that if you go looking for connections between things, you'll find them just because of the virtue of the fact that you're looking for them. So in, in you thinking about this stuff and considering it in your own life, what kind of internal filters do you, do you use to try to differentiate between things that May very, well, may very well just be coincidence or serendipity versus things that might have a stronger kind of a connection? That's a great question, and that's actually something that I do battle with in my own, in my own head as far as how to make sense of these things. 
I go back to like what Leo Sprinkle, who's been so good to me and, and so great, he's been in. Uh, you know, he says you know it doesn't really matter. You know, but it, what the, what you do with the information is what matters, and and I think the synchronicities. You know, it'd be I think it would be a mistake to like put too much weight into them. You know, like I'm not going to have some simple little, uh, funny little uh, event take place and then you know I'm not start a religion about it. Mm-hmm. But I certainly can take note of it. You know, I think the way I like to look at it is it's like, well, if it, is the universe telling me to pay attention? Is the universe just kind of winking at me in kind of a playful way? And that seems to be the way it's playing out. Sometimes I think the universe is playing one gigantic joke on all of us. Very true. <laughs> and we have no idea what to do about it. I have a my my uh there's a fellow I'm I'm like you know who's helping me out with like the the ongoing research I'm doing and he doesn't really have that much uh knowledge of of the UFO thing and he thinks it's fascinating but his take on it is is uh and he says, you know, sometimes I put, you know, peanut butter on the dog's tongue. You know, I just do it because I think it's funny. And uh, in essence, he's, you know, the insinuation is that, you know, like, yeah, they're just, you know, they're just messing with us. They just think it's funny. And that kind of plays into the trickster thing. It also comes to maybe they don't care. You know, I don't, I, uh, yeah, this is like now you're, you're like, you're adding anthropomorphic emotions to something that's almost unknowable. I don't know. I mean, do they care? I mean, I, I, who knows? I can't. I mean, like, you know, on, on any given day, I could say they care deeply, and then the next day I could say they're, like, you know, they're, they're, they're heartless bastards. So. Well, you know, the one thing that John Keel had said many years ago, and he talked of a supreme being, a computerized thought process or computerized device or entity or being, but he felt it was insane. <laughs> so not only was it computerized, it was an insane computer. And it's not like, for example, those of you who have personal computers, Mac or PC, you sometimes think they are insane. And to be blunt about it, you've got a lot of crazy people who program. And you've got to be very creative, very intuitive. It's not just someone who knows math who can create computer programs. You have to have a lot of talent. So there is that level of creativity and sanity that's part of programs sometimes you think computers go crazy because the people who program them are maybe a little bit crazy and those like david and myself who talk about them are probably just as crazy you have to recognize entropy i mean any piece of computer software is a very complex thing especially large applications an operating system is the biggest most complex system of all and uh, what I've told people for years is that it's a miracle that any of this stuff runs at all, period. Much less have it run consistently. So I think that there are lessons there to be learned in terms of understanding the nature of reality as well. That we expect everything to work in a predictable way. And it's pretty clear that the universe is very entropic in many aspects of its makeup. That things sometimes, you know, just happen. And, and there is no logic behind them, at least not any kind of logic that our ways of thinking can discern. Our and old I, friend I, Alan Greenfield said once, I am the god of physics and I have changed the rules. Mike? Oh, and I'll add that if, if this was, you know, I think the simplistic kind of uh, anthropomorphizing of, of the phenomenon is that we're dealing with little scientists that are a lot like us in a way, you know, they, they, you know, they travel in little metal craft and... And uh, instead of flying into Yellowstone to, um, to to study grizzly bears like we do, you know, they get on their metal spaceship and, and fly to Earth, and then they do they do you know studies. They're just a little bit farther down the road than we are, so so they seem very advanced and scientific. And um, and if that were the case, 
and maybe a percentage of this phenomenon it can be summed up like that. But if that were the case, like the the the, the events at Laughlin at the UFO Congress in Laughlin would have been really narrow. You know, you would have had just a very thin level of a little a little uh, a compressed amount of research going on, and it would all fit that that hypothesis and that. But it's not like that at all. It is so all over the map and so wildly divergent from one speaker to the next, from one conversation to the next. It's wildly divergent in a way that that the little flying saucer, the little metal spaceship doesn't fit. Um, it's something weirder. It's something more complex. And I have no way to prove that or anything. It's just anecdotal from, from just sort of immersing myself in it in the last three years. Uh, and I at a loss to really know I, that little the computer thing is a nice analogy um, but somehow that computer computer thing is like you know there's spider webs connecting that all over the place to you know to paranormal to you know dark nightmare type visions and I, I don't know where to you know how to keep my feet on level ground a lot of times in this phenomenon maybe you're not meant to human beings uh, I think in order to understand their universe, uh, they have to compartmentalize everything. It's it, this is the the process of deductive reasoning, is that you you have to put things into boxes. It's the only way to create any sense of organization, and you know into that you bring all of your cultural conditioning. Into that you bring the limitations of your own understanding of things. Into that you bring your own prejudices, and we all have them, and and this is something that when then people. Uh, they, they filter out what it is they want to hear. They filter out what they want to see. And uh, uh, just not to go off topic, but when I read online some of the things that people write about the Paracast, or I go and listen to other radio shows where people will talk about the Paracast, um, the way that we get pigeonholed, you know, that we're this tough show, that you know, people <laughs> on here, they're going to get ripped to pieces, and that we, we always, after the show, we tear them apart. And I go back and I look at, if you actually listen to the show, and you, you, you think, okay, well, how many times have we actually had those post-mortems, especially like in the last two years of the show? We've done very few of them, but people basically only pick up what they want to. And in terms of understanding, just, just talking about the topic of UFOs, it's so much easier to just say extraterrestrial aliens coming here. Uh, it, it's the it's the lowest common denominator. It's the path of least resistance. It's the one that doesn't require any setup, because everybody already has been conditioned, indoctrinated into this idea. And then when you have people like Jacques Vallée, who early on start to propose other potential explanations, basically everybody, when I say everybody, at the core of certainly the UFO research field at the time, came out against Vallée, very strongly. So he went from being, you know, respected researcher to fringe element because he brought up this idea of the extraterrestrial hypothesis being too simple to explain what he was studying, what he was coming up with. And and people get very uncomfortable outside of their comfort zone. I did a lot yeah. of that, David, in the nineteen sixties and seventies when I had a small UFO magazine. I would write articles that would take you out of your comfort zone, way out. And my ex-wife, Geneva Hagen, in case some of you have seen her participation on the Paracast forums, she wrote quite a bit about 
other things that would generate searches for understanding of reality. This is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO magazine. magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time when we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Airy Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Download episodes of Airy Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.eerieradio.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're trying to understand reality with Mike Cleland, who's a listener, an experiencer, a blogger. Went to Laughlin, Nevada to look for answers and maybe got a few there. And it wasn't just a UFO conference for him. Well, here, I'm going to, this is just, this dovetails pretty nicely. I'm going to tell a little story. This goes back to last year's conference. There was a woman named Dolores Cannon. She did a presentation last year in, uh, I talked about her a little bit earlier. Um, she does this uh, sort of hypnotherapy thing where she gets this channeled information from her patients. It's all very new agey. Um, but I sat in the in the audience watching her last year, and I was really impressed. I was kind of drawn into it. And she's a you know once again she's a very sweet grandmother character, and, I, and I'm somehow smitten by that. And I find I can relate to that really well. And I so I'm sitting in the audience, and she gives this talk, and I'm listening. And in the middle of the talk, she says she describes. As far as I know, very clearly, she describes, you know, she said, and now this is the pattern that I've seen. There are men in their mid-40s who are coming forward now in a very dramatic way with their stories. And these men have had dramatic sightings in the 1970s. They had depression in the ni- in, when they were in their 30s. And now they're coming forward, telling their story and sharing their stories with some... Um, in a way that that is is you know to share with the world in essence, um, and they're performing some duty. And she said this, and I sat in the audience sitting like, oh my god, here I am like doing this documentary, and here I am like uh, you know like trying to you know make sense of this, and I'm like she is describing me. So the the the, the uh, talk concludes. You know, I could just walk right up to her at her desk, and I asked her about this. I said, listen, I kind of. You know, she was sitting there, and I said, you know, I would love to ask you some questions. The thing you talked about, where you talked about men in their 40s coming forward now, and, and the, all those things, that matches me perfectly. And she looked at me, and she kind of, she was kind of evasive, and I didn't quite understand why, and it kind of intimidated me, and I never really followed up on it. And, and uh, so, fast forward to the conference in, and this is stuck in my mind, this, this pattern that she was talking about, like, oh, God, what does this mean? Um, fast forward to the uh, Culture of Contact conference, where I meet David. And I sit down with him, and you and I talk, and we kind of go through the checklist, the same one that, that Dolores Cannon went through, and like, oh. and I, you and I match pretty close. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember even asking you, like, when did you start the Paracast? And you're like, oh, about two and a half years ago, and that was exactly when I stepped into the, to this sort of role of self-examination of myself, where a, where a little video film crew has been following me around, you know, as I talked about Bud Hopkins and things. Um, 
And then at the same conference, all of a sudden they're going to, oh, now it's time to go and watch this documentary. So we walk into a room and we watch this documentary. It's 90 minutes long. And the documentary is exactly like the documentary I wanted to produce or I wanted to you know, be part of, take part of. Um, uh, I won't go into it now, but the, the d- documentary that, that I've been involved in has been uh, a little bit stalled out lately, but it's taken a very different turn early on in the production. So I watched this documentary. It's exactly the documentary I felt compelled to make about two and a half years ago, three years ago. And then I walk up to the director afterwards, and at this point I'm kind of, you know, I'm so far down the rabbit hole that I, I just, I don't, I don't waste any time. I pretty much say, how old are you? And uh, the director says he's uh, 47, and I'm 46. So I ask him, have you had any UFO-type abduction experiences? And he says, oh, yeah. And then I ask him, any history of depression? And he said, yeah. And then I ask him, uh, when did you get inspired to do this documentary? And he said, about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago. So it was unsettling. I was kind of weirded out. So... Uh, this whole thing with the Dolores Cannon thing really bugged me. You can just go online, and for 19.95, you can order a DVD of uh, the, the talks that they have at the uh, UFO Congress. So I, you know, I, I give my credit card, and a week later, I get a little DVD in the mail, and it's the Dolores Cannon talk that I sat through, which I remember I enjoyed. So I immediately open this package up, I pop it into my DVD player, I sit there in front of the TV, and for an hour and a half, I watch this discussion waiting for the point where she talks about this little pattern that I match, and she never says it. What? She never says it. Now, it's now like, wait it a is, minute. Well, now, wait a minute. This is the same thing you sat through. This is the same thing. She's wearing the same dress. I remember all the pieces except, you know, it is like, it's totally like, you know, they she's introduced. They say, welcome to the UFO Carverse, February 2008. Um, she sits there. I remember exactly the people who are asking the questions at the end. They're on camera, you know, walking up to the microphone. It's like really low-grade, uh, uh, you know, sort of DVD production. You know, it's just a little simple two-camera setup. So you don't think um, they edited something here, maybe? I, I, she does, in fact, talk about a man in his mid-40s, but she talks about – actually, he's in his 50s when, by the time she talks about it. But she talks about him being – it's something totally different, but she does talk about a man that is in his late forties, early fifties. Um, so I don't understand at all what happened. So I'm not kidding. I went back to her and asked her about this experience. Uh, excuse me, about the checklist that she had given. You know, this pattern that she had seen, and and she acted weird. It acted sort of evasive. And in in essence, she like didn't really get what I was asking because she had never said it. Hmm. It's incredibly odd. That but is you, you really have this weird. memory you have this memory, this distinct memory of her saying this in that talk, you have a memory of your emotional reaction to this. Now, and let's qualify this here that you know memory is uh, an imperfect and sometimes fluid thing. No doubt, right. So it's certainly possible that your memory of what you sat through might have been uh, influenced, even contaminated by your own internal thought processes that might have been happening at the time. You might have been hearing her say certain things, and then in your mind, you're, you're joining these things together, and you're making connections in your mind while she's talking. And at, at the end of the whole thing, in your mind, there is a bit of a, 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 of a blurring between what she was saying and the connections that you were making in your mind while she was saying certain things, perhaps 
triggering certain memories in you, perhaps uh, uh, having, again, where what ends up, the, the memory ends up being a, a, a jambalaya. Huh. I have to say that exactly the little mental exercise you just went through, mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through that. And I've said, like, yeah, that's how it must have happened, you know? Just exactly what you said is like, okay, that's how I, you know, that's the only way I can explain it. By, by just doing, you know, pretty much agreeing 100% with what you just said is, is, is how it must have played out. But I, it feels weirder than that. This is the reason that when I talk about my experiences on the Paracast, I try to really limit them to things where I have a co-witness. Because I, I acknowledge and I recognize that memory can be something that isn't absolute, and in fact, very often our memories are heavily influenced by a variety of factors based on my research and understanding of how memory even works. So uh, I don't necessarily trust certain personal experiences of mine in terms of the memories I have of them. And, and, I, and I've refrained in many cases from uh, discussing certain experiences. And uh, a few shows ago, I, I intimated that there were some experiences that I've had that maybe I have or haven't talked about on the show. And, and uh, it's when we did the Stephen Bassett episode, and I talked about seeing something at very close proximity. There was a flurry of activity on the forums and people saying, well, you know, David, what, what, what happened? Tell us. And uh, what I did was I came out and I said, look, I talked about being within close proximity of whatever this technology was. One instance, which I, I did talk about on the show, which was a sighting I had uh, in Jersey uh, with the UFO hovering over our house. This is like in 1972 or so. And uh, I considered that certainly to be uh, something I would qualify as a close proximity experience. And there's a second experience that I haven't talked about. And the reason I haven't talked about it is that it's it's very problematic uh, in terms of the fact that I was the, the only one. I don't have a co-witness for it. Um, that's A. B, it's the most single, most terrifying experience of my whole life, period. And I've been through some hairy stuff in my life, but man, this one, it was it was off the charts. And uh, it, it was really messed up. And a lot of my reactions to the experience, like, you know, how did I feel the next day, uh, were things that didn't really jive up with my memory of what had happened. So I had this experience that was very terrifying. Next morning I woke up and I was almost too calm, given my memory of the emotions that had played out the night before. And and I'll just say this now, which will, I think, deepen the intrigue, and I'm not trying to be coy about this, because I haven't really figured out how to talk about this experience yet, but I, I strongly, I don't suspect, I know that this experience involves, among other things, lost memory. I have lost memory around this, and, and, and I don't know if that lost memory was a result of uh, shock, where essentially my, my brain was saying, we're not going to remember this because you can't handle it, or whether it, was, whether it was something more noxious than that. But I do know that the next morning in talking to my parents and, and trying to convey to them what had happened. I, I was too calm about it. And 
I remember that bothering me. And I was 16 years old at the time, and I was a very old 16. You know, when I was 16 years old, I also ended up leaving my home. I ended up moving back to the States and bailing out of my the security of my household and, and leaving a country. So at 16, I was already a very old 16. I had lived through a lot of things and had a lot of life experience by then, much more so than I think a typical 16-year-old would have, especially in this country today. Um, so, you know, coming out of that, I recognize this sense of very strange things not only happening, but our reactions to them and how we process them after the fact. And, and that's sort of, as I said, being a, a combination of maybe defense mechanisms in our own minds to deal with these kinds of things, or some sort of external manipulation. And it's very hard to talk about these things and describe them to people because in my own processing and understanding of this stuff, I don't try to draw any conclusions about any of this. I'm trying to remain as open-minded as possible. And this has also, quite frankly, affected how I even talk about these topics with guests that we have. And you know, and I know right now I'm talking a lot, and so there are probably people listening to the show going, why aren't you conducting an interview? You know, stop talking. We don't want to know about your stuff. And it's like, well, even though we do interviews on this show, this show is a discussion. At least that's the way I like to approach it. I don't want this show to be just the thing where people come on and, and state, you know, here's what happened to me, and then we all go, ooh, that's amazing. I think it, this this stuff is worthy of having a discussion. It's a discussion we just have to be sharing with other people. Well, also, David, there are too many shows, I think, that do the interview format where the host doesn't take a position. The host doesn't care about having a position. The host simply asks questions and says, gosh, golly, gee whiz. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked. 
We answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, Separating Signal from Noise. It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have Mike Clellan joining us, but Mike came here for us to have a discussion, to share information, not just to sit there and answer questions. No, and I and I think that David's story... Uh, you know, uh, the parallels that you and I have are interesting, fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I relate really strongly to, to what you just said in that level of, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like we're in this pragmatic world where, where you know, like if, you know, if the refrigerator breaks, you know, there's like a little rule book on how to fix it, right? And uh, and this this is like so far out of that realm. Um, I don't have, there's no vocabulary that I have to make sense of of some of these experiences that I've dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. The only way I can make sense of it is to say it doesn't make sense, and then and maybe that's all I'll ever get. And I and I got to divorce myself from wanting some sort of answer because that wanting and that needing and that sort of uh, has been a, a form of anxiety that's that has been unhealthy. Uh, and, and at the same time, I feel like I'm on this road and I'm going down this road and trying to make sense of it and. And the only solace I get is from hearing stories exactly like what you just said. Yeah. There's a sense of not being alone in this when you talk with other people about it. And that's like why you went to Laughlin to a large degree was to be able to have conversations about this. And one of the reasons I'm really glad that you've decided to come back to the show, Mike, is that you strike me, and I can say this now having met you and spent time around you personally, you strike me as someone who is... uh, a very reasonable, rational person. You're not jumping to any conclusions about this stuff. Uh, you're expressing in what I think is a sincere way, in a sincere way, what you feel uh, has happened to you. I, I like your attitude about this, and I, 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 I'm inspired by it. And my attitude about this now, you know, because I know, as I said, that there's this reputation this show has that, you know, we're, we're hardcore skeptics and we're not buying any of the new age stuff. And it's like, I've said on the show before, if people knew more about my background, people even knew more about my experiences, they might be surprised at what my belief systems encompass. They're, they're not the typical skeptical belief systems that say, you know, if it's not hard science, I'm not buying it. As someone who's a technologist, I'm fully cognizant of the limits of our science and the limits of our technology. And I think that People should be a little more humble when saying, well, if you can't scientifically prove it, it's like, guys, there's a whole lot of stuff you cannot prove by the typical methods of science. And and maybe that what the ultimate goal is of our existence is to come to some understanding that 
uh, the nature of reality is more complex than something you can boil down in a test tube. Maybe things are so complicated that even the limitations of our physical brains uh, are so are so significant that you know, presented with an actual reality, this is what's actually going on. We'd say, "What? We wouldn't even be be, be able to to comprehend the basis of what reality is." And uh, this is something that you know, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that what I don't know so dwarfs what I know. And, and I'm saying this because of the fact that I have now heard in, in various other shows and on the web. People try to make some statement that, hey, those Paracast guys, you know, they think they know all the answers. And it's like, as I said before, is anybody listening to this show, the people who say that? It's like, I don't I don't pretend to have answers about anything at this point. I've got so many questions, and, and I think what people are going to hear on this show in 2009 is that we're going to have some guests on, and we're going to have some discussions that people might be very surprised about because of the fact that they all of a sudden potentially make us sound like, hey, well, are those guys going a little cuckoo now? Are they drinking the Kool-Aid? And oh, like, I drink that Kool-Aid, I'll tell you right yeah. now. You know where the Kool-Aid phrase came from? I'll tell you later where it came from. I know where it came from. I know where it came from, too. Stonestown. Yes. It was an Oops, evil Kool-Aid. thing. Grape Kool-Aid. Grape Kool-Aid. Purple Kool-Aid. The purple Kool-Aid. Um, so, no, that... Ultimately, we don't know what's going on. Sorry, Stephen Bassett. Uh, you don't have any kind of a handle on what's going on. And uh, uh, sorry, Stephen Bassett. You listen to people who are actually certifiably insane. <laughs> and, and some of those people were at the at Laughlin. Well, don't hold back. Well, that's the problem here is that we go on there and we say, hey, folks, we don't know the answers. And really, you don't know the answers either because we don't have the answers to all these right. mysteries. And yet... They say, we're pretending to know all the answers, but what about all the people who go out there and say, hey, we know the Space Brothers are doing this. We know that we're having this kind of interaction with E.T. We know where the secret weapons using technology we got from the aliens. We know where all that stuff is situated. Is it Area 51, Level S4, or at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base? All these people run around loose saying, I know, I know, I know, buy my book, see my lecture. And they're not cataloged or pigeonholed as people who are just out of their minds because they're claiming they know everything. And we say, hey, folks, we don't know. We want to learn. We want to discover what's happened to us or what's happened to other people. We want to explore these mysteries. And they say, we're trying to tell you we know everything. I don't understand it. I have a friend, and he's a uh, oh, he goes to meditation retreats, and he's studied under gurus, and he he's uh, he's very influenced by uh, like Ken Wilber. So, and him and I go at it. You know, we'll have like these deep, you know, philosophical conversations, and he'll he'll be confronting it. You know, like the grand mysteries of the unknown, and he'll be looking at it through the lens of uh, of like you know Eastern mysticism or or some uh, some meditation teacher that he's worked with, and uh, and I'll be going at it like. You know, like from these UFO books I've read, um, and he doesn't quite get it. He's like, you know, he's like, you need to meditate more, and I'm like, you need to like, you know, read some UFO books. And we're 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 battling and you know, soul searching to try to come up with the same deep answers that I guess is you know have plagued us since we you know stepped out of the climbed down from the trees. But uh, it's very interesting that I have somehow or another gone down this avenue of of like you know using the UFO 
phenomena as a framework for me to, you know, ask the ultimate questions about reality. And there I don't have any answers. There are clues all over the place. There really are. And I think we all need to recognize and acknowledge that. There are clues all over the place. And uh, it, not that everybody has something useful to add to the conversation. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But you kind of have to listen to everybody to figure out what the boundaries are. An old friend of mine, Paul Mavridis, one of my, my, one of my true artistic heroes, his tagline really sums this whole thing up. His tagline is, without lies, there can be no truth. And I think that that is so incredibly profound and accurate. You know, you, you, there, there is this um, negative, positive uh, uh, kind of balance of things where everything is bounded. You know, the nature of reality is not necessarily boundless. Things are ultimately bounded by, for example, the laws of physics. Though, of course, as three-dimensional beings, we can actually only understand, I think, a certain degree of the laws of physics because there are very probably, I'm not going to say possibly, I'll say very probably, there are laws of physics that, our, our physicality could never even comprehend because of the fact that we are indeed in this, in this state, at least, we're physical beings. And we'd like to think that we're more. And sometimes we even have glimpses into that infinite. Sometimes we even have these little insights. And I think for some people, what that does is it drives them crazy. And, and <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but but uh, but yeah, keep going. You know what I mean. I mean, I think for oh, yeah. some people, they have that one little glimmer, and their brains just absolutely cannot process it, and uh, they go nuts. They go nuts, and and uh, they basically lose a hold on reality. And so ultimately, you know, when people demand things like disclosure, you know, I've said to Bass on this show and, per- and personally. You know, uh, what if the nature of disclosure, what the nature of what this is, is not something that you expected? Well, I don't care. I want it anyway. It's like, yeah, but you're like the kid that wants to get behind the wheel of an actual car and drive it. You want and, and not that. not only drive it, like drive it, you know, like on the highway that's got the, the precipice right at the edge. That's right. It's like, yeah, you want this, but does that mean that it's going to be good for you? And, and this is something I think that as as human beings, uh, we all have this very strong sense of entitlement, and certainly you know nonsense like uh, that 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 book of the secret will promote this idea that if you want it, you deserve it. And it's like mm, now you know on a on a just a logical level, I so don't buy into that because that to me that's petulant children wanting endless amounts of candy, no matter what it's going to do to their stomachs and their blood sugar and their teeth. You know, if and you let a kid eat, eat candy all day long, that's what they'll eat all day long. They won't stop. Is that good for them? I don't think so. we got to watch out for the candy bars. Alien yeah, have- candy bars. Maybe that's what it is also. They're testing us. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, with some growth market, with some emerging market for them to sell their uh, <laughs> mythologies? It might be. Just think hey, about I have, that. I have, I have one little story to tell. Please. And uh, so... I, uh, I, you know, down O'Loughlin, I'm not kidding. I told you about it earlier. I was, I was wrapped up in knots when I went down there. I was totally confused and, and I, w- I wanted some sort of, you know, some sort of peace of mind. Um, and I, I don't have a good answer whether I got it or not. Um, so I'm driving back. It's a long drive for me. It's a 12 hour drive. 
um, back from southern Nevada, and uh, I've got my iPod, and it's playing shuffle songs, right? So it's just not me, and then who comes on but the Paracast with Leo Sprinkle. So it's like, great, I got this long drive. Um, you know, I'm trying to make sense of this whole this whole conference, and I remember I enjoyed that com- that, that uh, conversation between you and Leo Sprinkle. So it's great. I get to listen to it again. I can pay attention. I can pay nice close attention. I won't be distracted. And the two things that were bothering me at this conference were was obviously just like the push and pull of of like the you know like my weird memories versus just trying to get along in this pragmatic world and how how divergent that is and how stressful that can be. And the other thing is that memory of seeing the five gray aliens out my window is just seems so fantastic and I have no way to quantify whether that really happened or not um, but I have that memory so I'm driving home I'm just north of Salt Lake City on the interstate driving 80 miles an hour and uh, and along comes this quote and I'm gonna read this because I actually transcribed this it's kind of flipped me out so the quote is in in uh, you you're talking to Leo Sprinkle, and I and I made it a point when I got home to transcribe this, and I'm reading it right here. So, David, you say, In my personal experiences, there are aspects of high strangeness that have happened to me that make me skeptical of my own experiences. Truly. And this has become a dilemma for me in my middle age. This has become a problem. And then Leo replies, and I'm listening to this in the car, Leo replies, Same thing that Mike Clellan tells about himself that he feels in a dilemma because on one hand he knows what he's experienced, but on the other hand he can't reconcile that with what's going on around him. And it puts him in an awkward situation philosophically. So there Leo Sprinkle sums up my whole quandary in two sentences. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so I, I grab the, the, the iPod, which is on the passenger seat, and I look at it and I said, i gotta, I got to listen to this again when I get home. <laughs> and so I'm driving 80 miles an hour. I glance down at it. It says, one, two, three. So it's like a one hour, 23 minutes into it. I was like, great, that's easy to remember. So I get home, I bring it up on the on my computer, and I can scroll right to one, two, three. It's really easy. So I actually figure, like, well, wait a minute, let's me follow this all the way through. So I go to one, one hour, 23 minutes, and 45 seconds. One, two, three, four, five. It's exactly where Leo talks about me, and he says, on one hand, he knows that he's had his experience, one, two, three, four, five, but... On the other hand, he can't reconcile that. So, so this is exactly what you're talking about, where people like you know you have these experiences and you think you're going crazy, and, and I'm like, oh god, am I am I like descending into this like you know paranoia of like seeing little numbers and see- so, I figure, hey, wait a minute, I was actually interviewed on the Paracast. I'm going to go look up that interview. So it's easy to do. I just scroll down on the on the, the you know the things that I've logged on iTunes, and I go to the interview, which was Jesse Marcel was the first hour, which was great, I thought, and then I was the second hour, and and so I go to one two three four five, and it's so at that exact so I I listen to the quote and it's me talking, and it's, I'm talking about the other thing that's been bothering me, and I say, I remember waking up and there was a bright light filling the room, and my first thought was that it was a light in the driveway. So I sat up in bed, and I have an illustration of this posted. I sat up in bed, and I look out the window, and I remember seeing, one, two, three, four, five, quite clearly, five spindly gray aliens with big bald heads and big black eyes standing outside my window. Oh. So there it is. So there it is, like the t- one, two, three, four, five again. Like like the only two times I'm mentioned on the podcast, it comes up one, two, three, four, five, and. Uh, and it's the two exact things that are that are like throwing me into a huge life quandary. You know and what? We can't even go beyond that. That's got to be 
an ender for this show, except I'm going to quote what Mac Tony says about Mike Cleland's blog, a fascinating new blog delving into his experiences with strangeness and synchronicity. Mike's humility and painterly attention to detail are decided assets in a world where the very term paranormal has become associated with excessive fragility. Mike Cleland, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you. This was great. Absolutely, sir. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.